Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles, That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you for joining us today again on the broadcast, and we just are uh, very, very thankful for your cards and letters and words of encouragement that come to us via email or Facebook on our public profile page, by the way, which is Lynn Hiles Ministries. You can go there and uh, follow us there. Uh, we have deeply, deeply been grateful for those responses because it has been overwhelmingly positive. We've been talking about the marriage of the Lamb and the bride, the Lamb's wife, from the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation. If you've missed any of the segments prior to this, we've already shared several. You could go back to YouTube and watch them on our YouTube page. You can also go and download the iTunes podcast to your smart device, and then you can follow along in your automobile or whenever you want to listen to them at your leisure if you'd like to hear them. Again, we're posting everything there to make it available to you. We're going to go back to the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation is where we're at at this particular segment. We've already, like I said, dealt with several, uh, several uh, segments on this. We're going to deal with it again for probably a couple more. Let me begin by reading verse 1. Uh, Revelation 19, After these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation, and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah, and her smoke rose up forever and ever, and the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down, worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and you that fear his name, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of the mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice, and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, right, th th right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. He said, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant of thy brethren, would have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And then we're going to get into the white horse rider in another segment. This is to me again to set the stage of the timing. The timing of this marriage is upon the heels of the destruction of the great harlot. We showed you uh, from the book of Matthew uh, chapter 21 of the parable of the wicked husbandman and we showed you in the parable that followed that in Matthew 22 of the marriage of the king's son and how that many were invited to this wedding and this wedding uh, they did not come and when they uh, so he, he finally said to them uh, the marriage is ready the calf has been killed all things are now ready. And he invited them to this great marriage of the king's son. The Bible says that they, uh, uh, they refused to come. And they did not come at the invitation of the king. So he said to them, uh, go out into the highways, into the hedges, and compel them to come uh, that were not bidden before. I believe that's a powerful picture of him, including both Jew and Gentile. Both publicans, harlots, and sinners were invited to come and enter into the kingdom before they did. Uh, the kingdom was being taken from the apostate Jews and given to the nation producing the fruit of it, and that nation was a holy nation made up of both Jew and Gentile, a new if Israel of God, if you will, uh, that included part of the old one, not, not excluded, but included 
those that came in through the blood of the lamb. We talked about in uh, one of the segments, we talked about the parable of the sheep and the goats and that you're either a sheep or you're a goat and that separation took place over 2,000 years ago. That judgment has already been set in motion. So you're either in one flock on the right hand enjoying and inheriting the kingdom or you're on the other side where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And I, I may get to talk about some of that even before this segment is over. But one of the things I want to share with you is that in this particular segment, let me, let me just make a few comparisons, uh, uh, you know, again to set the stage. You know, in, in Revelation 11, uh, right on the heels of the temple being destroyed, the same language is being employed. Revelation the 11th chapter, he calls this city, verse 9, Revelation 11, verse 9, he says, the city where our Lord was crucified was spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. That's Revelation 11, verse 9. Our Lord was not crucified in physical Sodom, nor was He crucified in physical Egypt. He was crucified in Jerusalem. But the Spirit makes a direct connection to that old system and that people, because an old Jerusalem was about to be destroyed, a new Jerusalem was about to come on the scene. Uh, this apostate harlot was about to be burnt with fire in fulfillment of what Jesus said in the parables. They will take these wicked husbandmen and they will burn their city, especially with those that mishandled the owner of the son of the vineyard, those who did not come into the wedding feast with a garment on. And I shared with you how that in Revelation 19, the Bible said that the bride had made herself ready and she was now arrayed in fine linen, which was white and clean, and that the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. The only thing qualifies us to have on the right wedding garment uh, it, it, what, what's amazing to me is that if this is all to occur in heaven, if this is somewhere out in the future when we go to heaven, how does somebody get in heaven with the wrong wedding garment? I mean, what do they do? Grab, grab somebody's coattail on the way to glory and, and fly in there and accidentally come into the wedding? No, it's not talking about heaven after a while. It was talking about the transition of the kingdom being taken from the Jew and being given to the holy nation made up of both Jew and Gentile that were under the government of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Hallelujah, whose vesture was dipped in blood. And we'll see that also in this chapter. But what we see occur there is that uh, uh, th this bride had made herself ready. And I think some of the preparation was, of course, the apostles and prophets were given in Ephesians 4 for the perfecting of the saints that we might present her, uh, Ephesians 5, uh, that, 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 that Christ might present her to himself, not having spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing and uh, that there was a, uh, a procession. We'll get into that when I start dealing with the traditions of the Hebrew wedding. But uh, I wanted to show you that if you came in without having a wedding garment, if the wedding garments are the white linen or the righteousness of the saints, in the new covenant, righteousness is not based on your performance. It's based on a gift. Part of your wedding gift was He gave you a wedding dress, and that wedding dress is the righteousness of Christ. We put on that. Uh, and, and in the New Covenant, righteousness, again, is not based on performance. It's called the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. He was that knew no sin, was made sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So the wedding garment came as a result of His death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. And in Ephesians 5, we showed you how that uh, he washed her by the washing of the water by the word that he might present her to himself, not having spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing. On Calvary's cross, blood and water ran out of the side of Jesus 
And I compared that to how in Genesis Misty Garden the side of Adam was opened and a rib was brought and a woman was brought to him. On Calvary's cross, the last Adam, his side was opened by the spear of a Roman soldier, and the blood and water that came forth was enough to purge, cleanse us of every spot, every wrinkle, every blemish, or any such thing, and to give us a robe of righteousness so that we are now qualified to enter into, uh, this is incredible to me, this wonderful marriage of the Lamb. And so if you came into this marriage with a wrong kind of wedding garment, it's because you came in trying to make it in on your own righteousness, which is exactly what these performance-based religious leaders and Jewish people were doing, trying to come into this union based on their broad phylacteries, their long prayers for pretense, but their garments were like filthy rags, and they did not get invited to this wedding. As a matter of fact, they were cast out into outer darkness where there was weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And I think it's incredible. Let me see if I got... Uh, in my notes, there's three parables that really deal with this outer darkness concept, and I think I can get it for you real quickly, but uh, in, in Matthew the 8th chapter, verse number 5-11, through 11, says, And when Jesus entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh, and to my servants do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west, and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And I think if you, uh, uh, I don't have that verse printed up, but I think then it says that, uh, let me just go over here and make sure I got it, all that verse. Matthew 8, uh, Matthew uh, chapter 8, verse number 5 through 11. And uh, I, I read through verse 11 already, but it says, yes, but the children of the kingdom... That's talking about the children of the old covenant kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, as thou hast believed, so done it unto thee. And so what I want you to see is, the only, Jesus only says twice in the New Testament, I believe it is twice, I'm not seen so great faith, no, not in Israel. And both of these involve a Gentile. This one is a centurion soldier, and the other one is the Samaritan woman who says, Lord, uh, you know, even dogs eat the crumbs, and Jesus marvels at her faith, and then he does it to this centurion soldier who comes to Jesus and says, I'm a man under authority. I understand how authority works, and you say to one, go, and he goes, and I'm not worthy that you would come under my roof. And he said, verily I say to you, I'm not found this kind of faith, no, not in Israel. And I say to you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom. Uh, but the children of the kingdom shall be cast out out of darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the first time he uses this terminology, outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. He is talking about the Gentiles being brought in and the children of the kingdom that were trying to make it in through old covenant performance and that, that had rejected their Messiah, killed the son of the owner of the vineyard. He said, what's going to happen is, he begins to declare this, that uh, this is going to be taken from you, and uh, the children of the kingdom are going to be cast out, and, uh, and, 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 uh, and uh, there's going to be weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. To me, this is not talking about hell after you die. It's talking about outer darkness. 
It's talking about the darkness that had come upon these people whom the God of that age, and the age was, the age of the Old Covenant law had blinded their eyes so that they could see and yet not see. Uh, the other parable where it uses the same terminology we've already covered is in Matthew chapter 22 where it talks about the marriage of the king's son and says to them, uh, you know, the wedding, the, let me read it again, then saith he to his servants, the wedding is ready, but they which were bidden are not worthy. Again, he's talking about those that were bidden were the Jews. They were not worthy. Same terminology used in Matthew 8. Go therefore into the highways, and as many as you shall find, bid them to the marriage. So those servants went to the highways and gathered them together, all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man which did not have on a wedding garment, and he says unto him, Friend, how can thou... In, how, can, how camest thou in thither, having not on a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to his servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Same terminology again. In other words, you're going to stand on the outside looking in, weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth because it was offered to you, but you're not going to go into the wedding ceremony, as a matter of fact, there's a judgment that's about to come upon these wicked husbandmen. The other place that the same, uh, the same uh, terminology is used is in Matthew chapter number 25, and we'll go over there and look at this as well. In Matthew 25, verse number uh, 28, again, I already shared with you the per one of the parables here out of this one, but it's the parable of the man with the tenants, but verse 28 uh, says this. Uh, well, let me back up a little bit here. Uh, it says, um, For the kingdom of heaven, verse 14, is as a man traveling into a far country, who called to his servants, and delivered to them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to every one uh, man, every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made with them other five talents. Likewise, he that had the two gained also other two. But he that received the one went and digged in the earth and, his Lord's, and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of the servants cometh and reckons with him. And so he that had received the five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents. The Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over, th over few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. He also that had received two talents came. You know the story. He gained two more. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into, uh, uh, you know, uh, he said, you, You've been faithful over a uh, few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Then the, they which received the one talent came and said, Lord, I, have, uh, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gather where you have not strawed. But I was afraid, went, hid my talent in the earth. Lo, there ha thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, gather where I have not strawed. Therefore thou oughtest to have at least put thy money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I would have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him, which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he has. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them, the one from the other, as a sheep, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Can you see that I have consistently shared these parables? 
Uh, in the context of what's being said, the people whom he's delivered his goods to, whether it was the uh, marriage of the king's son, who they didn't come in with a wedding garment, they were cast out into outer darkness, there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Matthew 8, there was those that uh, uh, he said would come into the kingdom. When he healed the centurion soldier, which was a Gentile, he said they're going to come from the east and the west and sit down in the kingdom with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the children of the kingdom would be cast into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then finally, the third time he uses that same terminology is once again in Matthew 25, where he's talking about the parable of the talents. And he says, listen, you've had the goods. You didn't do nothing with the goods. Now I'm going to take the goods and give it to the people who are doing something with the goods to at least see my kingdom advancing. He took it from the natural, historic, apostate Jew. Uh, he destroyed, burnt their city in fulfillment of all of these parables. Jesus is talking to them, and they know he's talking to them because it tells you that the scribes and Pharisees perceived that he was talking about them. And these parables continue all the way through the Olivet Discourse, following the heels of Matthew 24, and they have been completely and totally fulfilled. This judgment was complete and fulfilled 2,000 years ago, and the kingdom has been taken from them and given to a nation that's producing the fruit of that. That nation, ladies and gentlemen, is a nation of priests that are one holy nation. It is the people of God. It is the community of faith. It is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that is made up of both Jew and Gentile. God just drew a bigger circle and said, hey, the issue is not whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. The issue is, are you connected to Him? Are you married to Him in this new covenant? Are you, uh, are you part of the covenant of promise in this new covenant? I want to just compare a, a few other things before I finish on this one because, <coughs> excuse me just a moment. He compares this with the uh, as I said, starting this segment with Revelation 11, verse 8 and 9, where he says, Our Lord was crucified in the city which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Our Lord was not crucified in Sodom or Egypt. Our Lord was crucified in Jerusalem. But when you compare uh, both Revelation 11 and, and Revelation 19, almost exactly the same terminology is used, so that I want to show you again that this is the same judgment that happened in Revelation 8, or I'm sorry, Revelation 11. The temple was destroyed, trampled underfoot for 42 months by the Roman armies, and it was trodden, it was given to the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles would be fulfilled according to Luke's gospel. And what happened was they were trampled underfoot for 42 months, and that city was trampled. It's in fulfillment of the same judgment that is used in chapter 18 of the judgment of the great harlot and the great whore. And in chapter 19, he said, Hallelujah, God has avenged us of the blood of all the servants that were slain were found in her, and that was apostate Israel. In chapter 11, verse 15, it says, And uh, there were loud voices in heaven. In chapter 19, verse number 1, he uses the same wording again. Uh, I heard the voices, loud voices, and, and uh, uh, he uses the same terminology again. In uh, chapter uh, 11, verse 15 of the book of Revelation, chapter 11, it talks about the commencement and the declaration of the kingdom of God and the commencement of the reign of God in Revelation chapter 11. 
and chapter 19, he talks about now has come salvation and the kingdom of our God. Same exact verbiage. And uh, chapter 11, verse 16 of the book of Revelation, the four and twenty elders fall on their face and worship. And in Revelation chapter 19, verse 4, they do the exact same thing. In Revelation 11, verse 18, he says he avenges the blood of his servants, and it's announced in Revelation chapter 11, verse 18, but it's also announced in Revelation 19, verse 2. Uh, in chapter uh, number 11, verse 18 of the book of Revelation, it ta- re- it refer- the reference to God's servants who fear him, small and great, is in verse 18, and in Revelation 19, verse 5, he says the exact same words again. In chapter 11, verse 19, there's loud voices, including thunders. And in chapter 19, verse 6, there are loud voices and thunderings and on and on. It goes with a comparison. I want to compare just a few other things with this. Also, in Revelation 17, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls with the wrath of God came and said to me, Come and I'll show you the great, I'll show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. And in Revelation chapter 21, verse 9, then came one of the seven angels, which had the seven bowls, full of the seven last pegs, and spoke to me, saying, Come, and I'll show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. So one of them in Revelation, the same angels with the seven last vials are bringing your attention to the judgment of the great whore. And the moment they bring your attention to the judgment of the great whore, they're the same seven angels with the seven vials that are full of the seven last plagues, says, come here, and I'm going to show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. So one of them is destroyed, and the other one comes on the scene. I'm trying to show you context and the timing of this again. Uh, chapter 21 of the book of Revelation, verse 9, said one of the seven angels. Well, I just I shared with you that one. No, I didn't. Uh, it says that one of the seven angels which had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues spoke to me, saying, come, I'll show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And then in Revelation chapter 17, Verse number three, it says, He carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. So in chapter 17, he's carried away by the spirit. He sees a woman that's full of names of blasphemy. In chapter 21, it says that he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city coming down out of heaven from God. So the same Verbiage is used again. He carried me away in the spirit. He showed me the judgment of the harlot. He carried me away in the spirit and showed me a great high mountain and the bride, the lamb's wife. It's amazing to me that it is fulfilled in the context exactly like he said it would be. Uh, and, And to me, that's just incredible. So it is a tale of two cities. One city is being judged. One city is being burnt. And the other city is being raised and glorified. One is passing off the scene, and old Jerusalem has been destroyed. A new Jerusalem has come on the scene. And apostate Israel has been invited to the wedding feast. They didn't show up. God invites Jews and Gentiles to the wedding feast. God offers us a garment that is white, and a wedding garment that is a result of a gift. And to the other, they try to get in without a wedding garment, and they're cast out where there's weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth. Again, that's not an after-death experience of hell. That's just realizing that you missed the promises of being able to enter into the kingdom. 
You know, one of the tragedies to me is that there's a lot of people right now in the church who don't realize who they are, what they have, or what their inheritance is. So they're, they're standing in darkness as well. I'm just simply trying to turn the light on. And the result is a lot of people are weeping and wailing and gnashing with their teeth. But I'm going to show you when we get into the 21st chapter of the book of Revelation, the very first thing he does to this bride, this lamb's wife, is he wipes the tears from off of her face and says there's no more curse. What we need to realize is that that's not somewhere in our future. It is Him removing the tears from our faces as a result of expecting the curse. Because under the old covenant, it was time to weep. But in the new covenant, it's time to rejoice. And Jesus Himself said in Matthew 5, You are blessed if you have mourned. Because under the old covenant, you mourned. But in the new covenant, you're about to be comforted. So in the old covenant, it was a time of weeping. In the new covenant, it's a time for rejoicing. In the old covenant, it was time to die. In the new covenant, it's time to live. In the old covenant, it was time for war. In the new covenant, a, co a, a covenant of peace is now coming on the scene. And this incredible, glorious bride of Christ is coming into this uh, consummation of this relationship where they are being gathered from the four corners of the earth into this great, uh, into this great uh, if you will, tabernacle of God. And this tabernacle of God is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple here. That's where the gathering is to. It's not a geographical location. It's a gathering unto Him. I hope you can see the context of this. And we, you know, see the power of what it means to live in new covenant marriage relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Man, the ramifications of this are incredible. We have a right to use His name. That's why we can say, in the name of Jesus, because I can carry, if you will, the King's MasterCard, and I don't leave home without it, that whatever we ask in His name, He will do for us, as if your wife would walk into the bank and sign a name, your name, or her name even, to your check, because she has the right to use your name and the right to be intimate with Him. The right of intimacy is a husband and wife relationship that we can enter into this relationship with Him knowing that uh, we have a legal right and covenant to be intimate with Him so that we can bring forth fruit unto God. We're just about out of time again. Join us again next week as we continue to unpack this thing concerning the marriage of the Lamb and the bride of the Lamb's wife. God bless you. Listen, take a moment to write uh, to us uh, sow a seed via credit card, debit card. You can call the number on the screen or go to our website and sow via that way. Or you can send it in a check in, uh, you know, through the mail. Uh, we appreciate your cards and letters and your prayers. Thank you for joining us. Tell your friends about us and tune in again next week at the same time. God bless you. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.